Greetings, rabble rousers. My name is Jessa McLean. Welcome to Blueprints for Disruption, a weekly discussion dedicated to amplifying activism across Turtle Island. Together, we will examine tactics, explore motivations, and celebrate successes in disrupting the status quo. This podcast is a proud part of New Left Media. So this episode isn't just about reclaiming land back and protecting our water. It's about two activists, Layla Statz and Skylar Williams of Six Nations of Grand River, who brave unimaginable forces while processing trauma and trying to take care of their communities. I think you'll be left in awe at their determination and bravery. This was just such a powerful interview for me to do. I'm, I'm often frustrated with the left, and that includes myself, for not sometimes acting with the collective sense of urgency and determination that we need to turn things around in time to save our planet, our land, and our water. There's no denying that Indigenous people across Canada and much of the planet are the ones doing the bulk of the work and risking the most to stop this continuous, endless development and extraction Canadians have long been made aware that the Crown and the Government of Canada have never truly honoured the treaties. We know we are on stolen land, but both Layla and Skylar will attest to the impact this has had on their own community. Through this discussion, they help me and, you know, in turn you, hopefully, to understand the current situation at 1492 Landback Lane, the motivations behind both their activism and just how they can be so courageous in the face of such fierce opposition and police violence. I mean, activism doesn't even begin to describe the level of work being done or the commitment involved here. Their explanation as to how they continue to defy injunctions and risk everything to reclaim land and protect the water and Layla's answer to what victory looks like has profoundly changed me. I encourage folks to just sit back and soak this one up. Uh, it's a bit longer than usual, but I just had so many questions for both Layla and Skylar. There's just so much I still need to learn and that work that needs to be done. So here we go. Welcome, welcome, Skylar and Layla. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please just take a moment. Uh, Layla, we're going to start with you. Could you introduce yourself to the audience? Who are you and, and what do you do? <laughs> Hello, my name is Layla Stats. I'm Mohawk Turtle Clan from the Six Nations of the Grand River. And what am I? I wear many hats. Uh, I am a filmmaker, uh, currently working on a brand new documentary. I am a water protector. I, I am a mother. I am a trainer. I'm a singer, musician, uh, all things in expression. And I think it really comes down to a storyteller and sharing really important stories and helping people share their stories. So, yeah. And not to mention... Uh, an activist uh, out there putting you know my body on the line to protect our land and water. We're going to get into a whole bunch of that um, as we go through this interview. 
Skyler, what about you, friend? Uh, so, yeah, I'm Skyler Williams, um, Mohawk from Six Nations, uh, Wolf Glen, uh, born and raised here in Six. Um, uh, what else? I'm an iron worker, I'm a father. Um, and yeah, uh, the last couple of years has had me a little bit busy with uh, 1492 Land Back Lane as the spokesperson for there. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm also a Mohawk iron worker, so that's kind of takes up my most of my days. So a lot of the work that you talk about doing is with your quote unquote spare time. Is that right? Is that well? Now it is. Uh, and over the last couple of years, though, that was uh, that was everything that I. It was every day, all day, twenty four seven. So it was. It was a long couple of years. You talk about the last couple of years and about fourteen ninety two Lambac Lane. Let's pretend our listeners know nothing about that. What is going on down where most we're talking about in Ontario, where some folks would call around Caledonia. What do you call that area? And what is going on there? We, we hear buzzwords about it, but I want to hear it right from you, Skylar. Yeah, no, it's uh, so July 19th, 2020, um, over two years ago now, um, uh, myself and uh, about 20 others went and occupied an area of land called uh, that was uh, slated for development. Um, it is on the border of our reserve and, you know, it's unceded Haudenosaunee territory. And uh, we went there and set up camp. You know, it was, it was, uh, you know, we made a fire and uh, put up some of our flags and, yeah, and we, we set up camp. Uh, the developer then got an injunction. That injunction was served by the OPP. The OPP came in with uh, 150 OPP officers to, to arrest uh nine people including myself the first day and then the very first day the the first day of the raid sorry which was august 5th sorry yeah the the okay so they gave you less than a month and they came storming in yeah and they uh yeah it was a couple of weeks in and uh yeah and they arrested nine people tasering people shooting rubber bullets at us um um yeah, myself, I got arrested and released that day. When I got out of jail, uh, there was blockades on all the roads, and our people had pushed the OPP, they'd pushed the OPP back, and there was just, like, I don't know, a thousand people on the road and in, in the bush and, like, coming from all over the place to, to come and give aid. And, you know what, we, the, if it wasn't for all those people, like, you know what, like, it was absolutely amazing to see all the, 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 the just the sheer numbers that we had out. Um, blockades went up, and then over the next couple of months, those blockades, we, 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 they came down. And then on October 22nd, uh, we started fighting the injunction. Uh, on October 22nd, the judge uh, barred me from participating in my own defense because we couldn't, we just didn't have any money to hire lawyers. They, uh, yeah, and then, uh, so I, I defended myself. I got, you know, I'm pretty lucky in my friends. I got some pretty smart friends, and so we learned, we all learned how to be lawyers. None of us are lawyers, though, but we all learned how to be civil lawyers in that, uh, in that couple of months and uh, uh, put together a case to defend ourselves. And um, it ended up being the judge, um, 
ordered me muted because it was all on Zoom, muted and uh, barred me from participating in my own defense and struck all the uh, historical evidence of, you know, how the land became this development, slated for development. And, uh, and so we showed all that and they struck all of it from the record and in, installed a permanent injunction, which, you know, kind of forever makes the decision for, you know, whose land it is. Um, uh, after that happened, uh, OPP showed up at the, at like what we call the back door of the camp. It's a six line in Argyle Street and tried to arrest people as they were going into the camp. And there was a, again, a bunch of rubber bullets were shot at us. But again, like I say rubber bullets now, but like at the time, nobody says, Hey, these are rubber bullets. It just looks like a shotgun that they pull up and start shooting at people. Uh, one guy was hit in the back. Another was tasered in the back. Uh, I think there's still, still some video floating around about there me pulling the darts out of his back. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I know it was uh, it was it was quite a time. And then that's when a bunch of heavy machinery uh, was used to dig up uh, Highway Six and Argyle Street and Mackenzie Road and the railway tracks that surround the camp. And, uh, By protesters, as a means uh, yeah. to enforce a blockade. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, and so yeah, the the police were then no longer able to utilize the roads that crisscross our territory to inflict more violence on our people. And so uh, our people maintained that camp after four months. We let the uh, uh, roads crews come in and fix the roads after after maintaining those blockades for four months through. Uh, November, December, January, and February. Those were some cold, cold months. You started with 20. How many people did it take to maintain those blockades? Oh, hundreds, hundreds, easily. Yeah, easily hundreds from all over the place. Like, it was amazing to see. I'm just going to go to Layla for a moment. We, I don't want to lose where you are there, um, but Layla, were you there at the beginning, if we're talking about Land Back Lane, like, did you witness any of these activities? So my introduction to Land Back Lane is actually interesting. I came uh, when we started the, the concert series. So we started to put music on the land. We started Land Back Unity Jams. And there was this stage in the middle of this, you know, this field, basically, that had been bulldozed <laughs> by the developers. And uh yeah, and a bunch of musicians came out and, and donated their time, gave the medicine of music. And that's when I started to see what was going on down there. I started to really understand uh, the sacrifices. Most of which were arrested for it. Yes, so several of the musicians were, were arrested for just being there, just playing music on the land. What's the charge there? Uh, mischief and uh, failing to abide a court order. The injunction. Yeah. Sorry to Layla, I just like I'm just wondering what they're rounding you folks up for there for playing music, but all right. And and when was this concert series? How far into the All of those people that got charged there yeah. all had their all had their charges dropped, every one of them. And so they just make the charge, lay the charge and then use that as a means to to dissuade people from intimidate. Exactly. Does it work? Well, we just had a concert last month. And uh, it was amazing. We had free food, free music. 
uh, everyone gathering on the land. And that's, you know, when you say, what is land back? That, that is what land back is. It's, you know, claiming these spaces for our people to come together, for our people to, you know, not even, you know, like you saw every race, every color of skin there at these unity jams, because it is about unity. It's about coming together on this land and seeing it be reborn. You know, we uh, we went for a walk at one of the old reclamation sites, Ginestado, and, you know, you see you see all of this wildlife. It looks like weeds, but it's like so diverse, the plants that are taking over this land. And we saw a deer running through the field. Like these are our, our traditional deer uh, like tr- pathways that they use to travel through territories and they're coming back and cornfields that are, you know, people have planted. And it's just like, this is, this is progress, not, what's down the road, those subdivisions of pavement and sidewalks and cookie cutter houses, you know, like this is, this is what land back is about. So, yeah, so I've, I, I've been a part of land back for, I don't know, yes, maybe two, two years now. And, uh, I wasn't there during the raid, uh, that particular raid. Uh, I've been through some very violent raid, um, you know, and, understanding what that feels like not to to have a gun shot at you and not know that it's a rubber bullet you know that's there's this imprint of trauma that happens and you know it's just but it's the you you start to see the sacrifices that are made on the front lines you start to see the people that are you know putting their lives on the land for the land because they're part of the land. We've seen a lot of developers push through indigenous lands, like treaty lands. Um, was this a way of saying like no more? You know, because it seems like like there's definitely been a stand been taken. You know, like you will not build on this site, and you will not repeat what we've seen happen over and over again, where t- treaties are not honored, and other levels of law are used to then do what Skyler uh, described as essentially ultimately determine the owners of the land wrongfully, right? Many, many times over. But here at, at 1492 Land Back Lane, I just feel like that's, this is a demonstration of the last stand. You know, we will not allow this anymore. You're willing to now put your bodies on the line, possibly defy uh, the law of Canada, maybe not the law of the land. I, I heard you talk about that, Leila, how that's that's a competing definition there, whose law of what land. But is, is that how you see it? Or, you know, is this is this the way how to reclaim land? As it, is this an example? Um, yeah, well, I mean, like, I think Layla, Layla kind of alluded to it a little bit in her last question was, like, like, the idea of progress and like like this not just covering everything in concrete and asphalt and turn in, in like to, to pro- what progress looks like that's not what we what we look at is progress like you know you look outside our house like there's you know wild bush like we tap trees we farm we like all of the things in our and you know and my neighbor across the road's the same way you know and and so it's it, it's just not how we live on our as you know and like and so when 
you know, we, we start making these big calls for, you know, missing, uh, justice for missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, uh, you know, all of the residential school survivors that are out there, you know, like all of those people that were, you know, essentially calling home. Like, how can we do that if we don't have the places to grow here? You know, without making it look like every suburb around, you know, like we have 10,000 people on our ban list that can't live on the reserve because there's just no place to build. And so, and land is at a scarcity, you know, like population, the uh, population of the reserve is booming, but like, you know, as every other big city, every small town across Canada has had the ability to grow its borders. Reserves are the only ones that the borders get smaller and smaller as the years go on. And so we want to be able to say, like, all we want is the same thing as everybody else. We want the ability to, to, to thrive and grow as, as a community, as nations, and, and, you know what, and have those rights recognized that our people, you know, fought and died for. You know, blood, sweat, and tears of, you know, generations of my family went into this land here. And so... You know, and, and like the, the the stuff around our connection, right? like and again, sorry, Layla, to be like, you know, you said it, like we, like it is part of us, it is part of who we are, and like that idea, like, you know, like our creation story, like we are made from this clay that we're that that we're on, and so like for us, like that 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 connection for us, like, I don't care how many cops they got, how many how big their jails are, like. Like th these, uh, there's nothing that can sever that 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 tie to to the land for us, and certainly like to each other. Like when when we see our brothers and sisters in other communities, like like that is like again that's part of us. You know when they hurt them, you know and like that 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 stuff's really really important, and I think it gets kind of glazed over for people. I also feel like if you know if the actual process was worked and it wasn't designed to you know basically dispossess us of our land and our identity since the beginning of contact uh you know we wouldn't have land claims that are in courts for decades and you know we wouldn't have uh people having to put their bodies on the line you know when when you look at the uh, out in Wet'suwet'en where where I was arrested for standing with the the hereditary chiefs the you know the acknowledged caretakers of that land the stewards of that land 22,000 uh, square kilometers that they have been taking care of since the beginning of time in their traditional ways in their traditional governance you know and them claiming them making it law that no pipelines will pass so when you're standing there and you're looking at Canadian law coming down the barrel of a gun, you know, and then you're standing with traditional law of the land that existed long before settlers ever came, long before they even knew that we were here. You know, this is this is where you get that conflict. You're like, no, I'm going to say no. And I think that was the act of resistance where it was a moment where your voice, maybe it won't change things in Canadian law. But it's having these ripple effects within the greater community, within, you know, from the ground up. People are waking up. They're realizing that, you know, maybe Canadian law isn't, isn't accurately helping to, you know, fix this problem. The act of reconciliation is, you know, is not being reflected in our courts. 
But that's the thing, though, is like that reconciliation is the barrel of a gun, though, right? And like that's the thing is if if we're talking about reconciliation and you hear all this, you know, happy Indian rhetoric from, you know, Trudeau at how many podiums now crying in front of altars to the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and the dead bodies of thousands now at residential schools across the country. And we're still talking about reconciliation as if there's any political will behind it. Because we still see water advisories across the board. We still see, you know, cops coming with fingers on the triggers to, to, to arrest people who are standing up for the rights, their birthrights, for our birthrights. And so for us to have uh, that opportunity to be able to, 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 to make that stand for our lands like that, that's a, it, it's something that, you know, the, the police and government's on down like it just whether you're talking provincially, you know, there that's you know out, out west in BC and the Wet'suwet'en territory, which is driving me insane right now. That you know, like I'm still in conditions from there that I can't go there, and like it, it is, uh, it, it's, it, it's something that you know when our hereditary chiefs here in Six Nations say that we'll do whatever it takes to stand behind the hereditary chiefs there, that 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 for us means something. You know, and like, and so that, that yeah, I don't know. It, I'm sorry, I ran off on that one there. It was, it's just, it's what's kind of consuming my brain at the moment. No, I, I appreciate that perspective, though, Skylar. Um, I did want to ask you about that ripple effect, though, that Layla mentioned, and because it reminded me of the opening of this interview and when you spoke of the impact of those first arrests um, and every subsequent police action you've described has led to an escalation of tactics, uh, you know, a necessary escalation of tactics. But I did want to ask you, I meant to ask you near the beginning, what did it feel like after you got released that first, after the first raid and you came back to you know, you started started with 20-odd people, and then you came back to thousands of folks who had rejected those arrests, essentially, had been spurred by that police violence and had came in solidarity. Um, did that make you... I don't want to put words in your mouth. How did that make you feel to see that? Well, it was, you know, about four hours I was, uh, I was detained for at the Cuga detachment. I got out and this woman came up to me and I didn't recognize her, but she stuck this phone in my face and was trying to show me what was on the picture, but I just didn't know who this person was that was sticking this phone in my face and I was trying to see who it was. And and it was a live feed though from the site that, and uh, from some news, news station and there was fires on the highway, there was fires on the roads, there was, you know, people blocked the train, there was like, it, it, there was lots going on in this like short area of time, short window of time and um, as soon as I, I seen the, the videos, um, I knew that was really close people to me, brothers and sisters of mine that were still holding the line after I, after myself and the other eight people got arrested. And so when I got out, like, I just said, like, to the person holding the phone, like, like, can you drive? Like, get me back down there. Like, I need to, I need to go now. I need to get there right now. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. 
I uh, bet just to be amongst them um, and to feel that hope again, because getting arrested and facing that violence, I would imagine, was a moment of despair um, and anger and all kinds of emotions, trauma. I get it. But like I just beamed hearing you come back to that. And again, you know, in the face of the injunction, we saw concerts and digging up of the roads. So I'm going to go to Layla here and and always Skylar, please um, chime in as well. But what do you do then, you know, when you have those conflicting laws and, you know, at land back, for example, and not much is different in BC, millions and millions are being spent on policing these uh, swaths of land, these protest sites. Um, I just want to share with the audience what that money looks like from land back lane over a six month period, over $16 million was spent by the OPP monitoring that area. We've seen the police violence coming out of, um, Wet'suwet'en. And I mean, I come from a real place of privilege. I told you before we started recording, like I would have severe anxiety at looming court dates But you folks are literally facing off with police officers. You're entering spaces you know will likely result in your arrest. I'm trying to find, like, how do you find that courage? And it angers me. I just want to make a note. Like, it angers me so much that this has to be done in order to honor the treaties, at the very least. But... Not everybody does this, right? Not everybody goes to this land to protect the water <laughs> and the land or to, or their community. Like, even if it is a matter of survival, like you described, like 10,000 people can't go on the land that are part of the band that's, or the river is being drilled and maybe poisoned irretrievably. But still, not everybody does what you guys do, So, what you folks do. Where do you find that courage, Layla? I would be a wreck. Honestly, it comes back to that connection. When you understand that the water is alive, the water can actually hear you. The water feels your emotions. It's like scientifically proven now that the water feels emotion, feels words we say to it. It changes its composition when we give it different energy. It's alive. The trees are alive. The earth is alive. It is part of our family. It is our relative. So if it was your mother that was being ripped open, raped and pillaged and destroyed and poisoned, what would you do? You would defend her. So if it was my brother in, you know, being in threat of death, I would put all of myself on the line. So when you start to see it as a living entity, you start to see how the connection that it can't, we can't exist without that connection. We don't exist without that connection. Unfortunately, in our society, we've disconnected so much that it seems like a, it seems like a fairy tale. It seems like, you know, like talking to trees, talking to water, the, you're made of the land like these sound like you know like that's just we don't have time for that in today's society and that's what's wrong that's why we're on this crash course that we're on that we can't stop because we've lost that relationship so when you're standing up for your 
relative, when you're standing up for the next generations coming down the line and you look that far ahead, have you looked that far ahead at what happens when it all comes crashing down? When we run out of oil, when we run out of water, when we run out of food, have you looked that far ahead? This is where you have to tap into that, that connection, that understanding. This is where the ways of Indigenous people need to be honoured and respected and truly put to the forefront instead of being afterthought as we develop, as we progress. And that's why this idea of you know consultation or having somewhat someone indigenous running these developments and understanding where pipelines can and cannot go you know many of us will never drink from a clean river it's just impossible but yet there are clean rivers that we can still protect and so when you see that and you see you see them poisoned you see 10,000 dead salmon and you see people mourning the death of the land, the death of the water, the death of their real tears, like, like their family has died. You understand that going against police, dogs, machine guns, military SWAT teams, you know, like this is this is what we have to do. This is what has been it's a state of emergency, really. We are in a state of emergency. And it's not just an indigenous issue. We have to protect all of the land. We all must understand that we are part of land back. We have to take land back in our relationship to the land back, your responsibility to the land back. Not just support indigenous fights for land back, but be, feel it, live it, embody it, understand it, be connected to the land that you're fighting for. I feel like as an urban settler, like I don't have that relationship to land and it's not part of our upbringing. And especially when you're surrounded by concrete, you it's hard to look ahead like that, Layla, and to see what the outcome will be, even when people tell us over and over because we don't live it, right? We don't really live those poison waters as settlers. Sorry, let me jump in on that one, Jessa. Is I had a friend of mine about a year and a half ago in the summer called me to come and help at an um, uh, uh, encampment clearing in Toronto. <clears throat> when I got there, there was lots going on. There was lots of police. And uh, and this one Indigenous guy come walking up to me, and he's like, he's like, hey, I know you. You're, you're Skyler Williams. Man, I seen you on the news. And I laughed, and I'm like, yeah, man, right on, that's going on. And he, he was like, he's like, oh, man, that, uh, uh, my mom's from Six Nations. And I'm like, oh, no way. I said, who's your mom? And uh, well, her last, he said her last name, and I was like, really? I said, that, all, them, all them folks live in my neighborhood. It's like, yeah, there's a couple at the corner on this side of me, and then a couple more at another corner. And he was like, oh, no way. And I said, like, what, what the heck are you doing in Toronto? And he's like, he's like, well, I live in that, in this encampment here. You know, I was like, well, how that, what? And he was like, my mom was in residential school at the mush hole. And when she got out of the mush hole, she went to uh, Mississauga. She had a job there and she met my dad. And both of them were just fall down drunks. And so I ran away from home when I was 15 and... Just got caught up in the caught up in the street life, and I've been here for the last twenty years. 
And I'm like, holy man, like, I said, do you ever get to six? And he was like, he's like, bro, I never left the city. <laughs> I'm like, oh, and this guy is like my age, you know, telling me this story. And I'm like, and I said, well, like, where are you living now? And he's pointed at this tent and the cops are in, like, had it all torn apart and cut open and, they, and they're just throwing all these stuff. He's like, like, that's all my stuff. And I'm like, what's that? And he, he took me over to the fence and he, he showed me where his tent was and he said, that's my tent. And, and uh, that's my stuff. And like, and you see him start to choke up and I'm like, and you know, it made it real, it made it very real for me that like, you know, even our folks in the middle of big cities that don't know anything else other than concrete and asphalt, but like find a little bit of green space that there is in those cities and try to make it as home as they can. And you know what, like for a lot of them folks, man, they've been through more trauma than, you know, most of us have ever even read about or seen Netflix documentaries about, you know, like none of us can understand what that trauma looks like. I mean, you know, just growing up on the res, you know, like it, it, it is one thing, just growing up as indigenous in general is, is another altogether, you know? And so there's lots of stuff to kind of, to look at there and what land back means and like for 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 everybody you ask like land back means something different but it all just comes back to that connection to the, these lands and these waters and to each other how can we reinforce that connection you know like so that one people feel the urgency but two it also will normalize the idea of you know honoring the treaties and respecting indigenous rights and because right now it feels like it well (laughs) it doesn't feel like indigenous people are doing all the heavy lifting here in terms of the environmental movement it's not to say settlers aren't participating um but not to this extent right like not to this level of risk um and not with this level of urgency either. I, I saw something neat on your Facebook page. I've been creeping the both of you, right? So I've drawn some stuff from what you've shared. And two things I saw, like a children's program that was just all about um, land relationship. And I also saw a retreat of healthcare workers where they were being introduced to, you know, indigenous ways of life, so to speak. I mean, that's a really broad what can you tell me more about that kind of work and how that ties into land back? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that I have been, uh, you know, kind of making a point of is the idea of land acknowledgement. And, you know, we have these land acknowledgements that all of these big corporations, these organizations are these schools, like everyone, every gathering now has a land acknowledgement, but it is simply acknowledging that these injustices happened without the idea of actually land action and land back in the, in the statement. And so for me, this land acknowledgement, it, it you know it can be it almost feels like offensive now that it's they keep saying it's our land but there's no progress or a movement forward so i've been encouraging uh, some of the schools that i've been working with to rewrite and reclaim their land acknowledgement to be 
action-based, to be using that voice, using that moment to inspire change and understanding. I think that when we bring people back to the land, when those healthcare workers came, you know, and I told them to first go talk to a tree, she said, she's like, I felt, I felt silly. I felt stupid. (laughs) They're talking to a tree. She's like, but I did it. And I, I spoke to the tree and she's like, afterwards I had this feet, this pull to just put my hand on the tree. And she said, when I did, I, I felt something come back to me. I felt something come back to me and it, it shocked me. And then every day they would go back to their tree and give them updates and tell them, you know, what they, what they learned, what their moment, their story of the day was. And it was absolutely beautiful to see these, these, uh, you know, our, our healthcare workers They're they've gone through quite a trauma as well over the last two years. And, uh, you know, the state of our healthcare, the state of our government, the state of our, our, prov- our province, you know, everything is just, it's a struggle. And recognizing that and recognizing how the land actually heals us and seeing the medicine around us and seeing it as a way to honestly heal all of us and taking that ownership of land back. So, you know, it starts with the kindergartens. I've done lots of kindergarten classes and helping them, you know, they're like, oh, Miss Sats, you know, I I, uh, said hi to the river when we drove past yesterday. And just that simple act of seeing it as a being that they acknowledge, they say hi to, they talk to, they can tell their, you know, tell their stories to, uh, that is a change that we never got as kids, you know? Like, I didn't grow up in in the longhouse, I didn't grow up in the teachings because of residential schools, because that was taken from me, that was stolen from me. I had to reclaim it, I had to find it for myself, I had to go on this journey to seek it and know it but now that I do I'm like why why didn't we learn this when we were in kindergarten our our cities would look different our our companies would run differently our entire society could have changed if we had made these teachings a priority and then when I talk to people like healthcare workers or teachers you know I'm like we all kind of need to reprogram our kindergarten brain we all need to go back to that basic understanding that we are all connected, that we all impact each other and everything we do impacts the generations to come of all of this land. And also that the medicine is all around us, you know, and we're just, we're killing it at the, at the cost of, you know, ignorance, basically just claiming, well, I didn't know that the pipeline was going there. I didn't know that oil was going to spill in the water. You know, like we're just so bury our heads in the sand and try and get through the day uh, or, you know, profit, which is sad to say. You talk about the children and I'm just thinking my own experience and how I, you know, Earth Day passes, right? And the kids talk about the planet, but it's still from this really kind of removed perspective. I don't know if that's it. And I so wish that that land relationship that you talk about being so critical would be part of the kindergarten curriculum and, and, and so on. I know in my, I'm in York region here in Ontario and they do offer indigenous language classes. So there is like some incremental 
progress being made, but I feel like that's just such a huge part missing from especially settler culture. And it can't just be like Layla going and visiting kindergarten classes randomly. Like it has to be something that's structured there. Um, So I went to school on reserve and every single morning, every single morning we opened every, every single day with uh, our opening address, the Ganojeño. Um, uh, and what that what that prayer talks about, what the, it, it's not a prayer, it's just an acknowledgement of uh, 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 gratitude being shown for for everything. And it starts with with our, our mother, the earth and the waters and everything from the ground, everything, the fish, the, the, the grasses, the, the herbs, the medicines, everything all the way up the food chain to the, to the, the animals, the trees, uh, the wind and our protectors and, you know, the, like those like the thunders, everything we give thanks for. And that is what we start every single day with. And like, I guess like and. And it's funny, just as you were talking, I was like, "That's that's that, that actually does happen on uh, in in our reserve schools." And so, like, that's it. I guess I, I guess it might may, may maybe it has some influence. <laughs> it actually it actually translates to the words before all else. So nothing would ever happen. No gatherings. No ceremonies. No uh, you know meetings would happen without first acknowledging our relationship and giving that thanks, giving that gratitude for our relationship to all these these elements of life and honoring our, our connection to them. It's like, when's the last time we've spent five minutes in gratitude, in acknowledging the water, the birds, the, the berries, the plants, the trees? You know, it's it, it, it's lost from our, our culture these days, and that's... That, you know, that missing, Tom Porter calls it the skeleton key that unlocks everything. And it is, it's that, it's that intention of before anything happens, we have, we must do this. This is the most important, important thing. I'm grinning only because in my mind, I am replacing the national anthem in the morning with something far more meaningful, (laughs) right? Like, or, you know, God save the queen, king, all of these things that, you know, people repeat every morning are actually awful nationalist, imperialist garbage. So I think my proposal, at the very least, my contribution (laughs) to this discussion is a far more reflective opening to our days, Um, especially if we can implement it in a school day, because I'm with you on... I'd like to go back to the land acknowledgements a little bit because a lot of the audience here are in progressive movements that are certainly doing land acknowledgements. And I think we recognize that, especially in those circles, we're moving beyond this acknowledging or the awareness raising part of the campaign. You know how like we first had to be told in the environmental movement that the planet is on fire and why it's on fire and all of this. But now we all know <laughs> we don't have to keep telling what is that next step, right? Like you talked about adding action items into the land acknowledgement. So so the solution isn't to just stop doing land acknowledgements because they've become a bit hollow, especially when they're not followed up by any action items. You're suggesting perhaps we tweak the land acknowledgements a little bit. Can you touch on that a little bit? Because I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that feel like it's really empty. They don't want to 
go through with it if it doesn't mean anything. Um, and want to be better allies in this regard, you know? Well, for me, I think it, it comes to taking a, a personal, a personal stand, a personal responsibility for active change in our, in our country, in these systems, in these policies, in the courts, in our government, you know, like actually using our voice. I think a lot of times we're afraid to make a statement, like to be, I don't want to be political. You know, I don't want to go against Canada or the government. You know, I don't want to go against the, uh, the school board or whatever, but I think it's important for us to take like each of us should have our own personal land acknowledgement. Like what is, what do you think needs to happen? What do you see as wrong? What, how can you use your voice and put it into your land acknowledgement and make an actual statement for change that you want to see change, not just acknowledging what happened, but what needs to happen. So we're looking back. Yes, we acknowledge this is the traditional territory and we what do we want to happen from this? What do we want our governments to do? We want to see change within our systems to acknowledge that land back, to acknowledge their rights and their, you know, their roles in protecting and living on this land. Uh, I think that, that it's important for us to not be afraid to call out things that are wrong, that we see that are wrong. Uh, and as Canadians, we're very nice. And so we don't like to stir pots. We don't like to, uh, you know, call out things that we see are wrong. But I think it's the time is now. Like, this is the time I'm seeing this shift in, in awareness, in allyship, and people wanting to do more. They don't want to just say a land acknowledgement. You know, they want to put energy behind that. What can I actually do? Uh, so when you actually define it and you use your voice and, you know, it's not just it's not just people like Skylar and I that are sharing out call-outs or sharing out these videos from land defenders or sharing out these, uh, you know, actually sharing the truth. It's your kid's teacher. It's your next-door neighbor, Betty. You know, it's your person down at the, uh, you know, down at the, the coffee shop. Like, they're like, oh, they're talking about land back too. They're talking about the, the pipeline out west. Like, that. It, everybody's talking about it and it becomes uh it becomes a you know our our national voice is now shifting is now changing and what we're hearing who we're hearing it from is becoming more diverse and i think we don't go far enough in land acknowledgements i mean we say you know this is the traditional territory of whoever we like it like by no means even close to saying, you know, like whoever we didn't kill in war or with disease, we tried to assimilate them, raped, kidnapped, murdered, tortured these kids. Uh, and then when we could, that wasn't good enough, we over incarcerated them. And so all that we could live on this land, we, we, we acknowledge our, uh, 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 the benefit that we that we've received for killing, raping, and torturing all of those people, so that I can come here and sit through this alien acknowledgement. Like if that's what was being said, you know what? I'm different opinion of it. Yeah, most land acknowledgements that I've heard are pretty watered down, uh, remove all culpability, and are often framed as really historical. You know what I mean? Like like you said, they don't tie in the continuation of colonialism 
and we know there's lots of uh, Canadians out there that deny that colonialism still exists, right? We see them celebrating the Queen right now as though we've forgotten <clears throat> the impact of the crown. Uh, well, I mean, she's done, she's done a lot of good for white people. Yeah, no, like that's exactly what it is. And that's the resistance you must face, too. I want to go back to that, to, like the injunctions and the developers. Uh, you know, we did an episode on developer money in municipal politics and in politics in general. So the folks that are trying to pave over that land have friends in high places. Right, Skyler? They, you, you must know this. Um, oh, yeah, no, for sure. What's it like going up against that capital? No, for sure. You know, when you see, you know, uh, Doug Ford taking the stage to, you know, uh, to, to call us terrorists and, uh, and like that is an absolutely ridiculous statement from, you know, not just not just some politician in, you know, backwoods Ontario. This is like this is the premier of the of the province that is calling us terrorists. You know, and this this for defending what you know our, you know my forefathers you know died for, and so you know what like this is the this is the the legacy of you know of reconciliation in this country. You know, like when we like it is ridiculous to me that the that there's so many politicians out there that are still talking about reconciliation as if it's something that's happening. You know, we still see you know our people over incarcerated beyond belief part of the justice system in some way, shape, or form from, you know, 12-year-olds on up, uh, you know, in, in the um, uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls stuff, like, it, like the, the, the stats for everything, like, you can't argue with, you know, and the traumas that our, our communities have had to go through. And, you know, when we're talking about injunctions and this stuff, like, one of the, one of the, the kind of the key points of our, uh, of our argument was, you know, was like Canada and Ontario, the police, you know, the Brits before it was Canada, like have all aided in dividing up our community and making, you know, these big divisions that have happened. And so that's why you see these big fights between hereditary councils and the elected band councils, you know, because these elected systems were enforced on our communities. Either you do this or you have no voice whatsoever and you just become a Canadian. And so that that's that's what our communities accepted, and so, but only very small portions of those communities, like here in Six Nations, I think our last voter turnout was 4.2 percent. 1,200 voters came out to vote out of the 27,000 possible voters, and so like it is an absolutely ridiculous thing that we continue to to, to try and you know. Uh, uh, talk about consultation or reconciliation, and so our our community like has said like, you know what, you can't just go to one group in our community. Like you've created this bureaucratic nightmare. Like I trust me, I'm not going to argue with anybody that absolutely doing any kind of you know land dealing stuff in our communities is a bureaucratic nightmare. It absolutely is. I won't argue that against anybody, but that's not because of our doing. That's because of, you know, years, like generations of people have been have, have been utilized in different ways by, you know, Indian agents and, and governments, whether that be federally or provincially or municipally, like all of these things. And so now, 
these developers are taking advantage of those divisions that they've created. And so one of our key arguments was, you know what, no longer can you you just go to, to like, because that's the thing, our, our communities, you know, we're not rich communities. And Six Nations, like, we are, like, we are really well off in terms of indigenous communities, you know, worldwide. But, like, um, like you know, we have a, a good economy here, I mean. But you know what? Our land just keeps getting smaller and smaller. And so, like, we, like, ah, it's, it's, it's really frustrating to, like, to sit in court and hear these, um, you know, that happy Indian rhetoric from, you know, politicians and you see it in court and there's no action behind all of these words from all of these politicians. You even post a picture of a land acknowledgement plaque, uh, you know, declaring the land drawn as Haudenosaunee land. Is that not right? At the courthouse that keeps upholding these damn injunctions. So like, who's really calling the shot? Well, a lot of our listeners will know, like capital people like developers end up calling a lot of the shots, you know, treaties be damned. They, they find the paths that work for them. And, and Layla, I've heard you talk too about that. And we touched on it a little bit that which path do you take? You, you know, um, when we go land claims way, they get bogged down. They're usually only initiated or, or progress if there are resources to be extracted, right? Otherwise, they just sit there as you know has the time come to escalate tactics even more to be able to secure and protect the land that's left and you know well i won't <laughs> i won't tell anyone else what to do but i feel like we have to decide that within ourselves and uh look to you know look to the future look to you know, we look at, the, like, Skylar, I remember something he said to me once, and, you know, we have so much trauma, layers of trauma that are just being, just beginning to be understood from years of this attempt at genocide, this, you know, just to infiltrate and to assimilate us, basically, you know, beat the Indian out of us and, 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 and yeah, to erase our identity, to disconnect us from our land, to take us away from our families, our teachings, our language, uh, to, you know, I, it's, it's crazy. I just went to, uh, Grassy Narrows, which is a community up North that, uh, has been poisoned by mercury and to hear the youth talk of, you know, attempting suicide and knowing so many people that have died, so many people that have attempted suicide, like, it is shocking to grow up in a life like that. It changes you. And, you know, most of us are very privileged that we don't live that life. We don't deal with those traumas. And, uh, you know, so now understanding that there is these traumas, there is this underlying, uh, you know, issues, this constant, constant, uh, you know, discrimination and, and theft of land and culture identity that indigenous people carry. So there has to be, when we talk about reconciliation, there has to be understanding of that. Like we talk about the court systems, we talk about uh, some of these new, what was the um, the policy that you argued in your court case for the, uh, for the... Planning Act and the Places to Grow Act. 
No, it was the Gladue. It was the Gladue where we take into consideration, you know, these traumas that Indigenous people have faced, why they feel that they can't use the courts to get their own injunction, why they feel, you know, they already have a resistance to police and already have these traumas and understanding that. So I think, you know, in, in going against the big guys, there's this, I guess there's this hope that there's going to be change. There's this hope that there's going to be understanding of this uh, new awareness that has been brought on by our, you know, their final admitting of residential schools and traumas. And But when you go there and you look them in the eye and you, uh, you know, I've spoken to many politicians and, you know, was asked to, at the political debate for the, the uh, provincial candidates to ask what, you know, what they were going to do to make sure Indigenous communities had clean water. And they gave, you know, their their political answer and, you know, they sounded good. But the one that won, Doug Ford, didn't even show up. So there's no, there's zero accountability to the people. And I think that's what we must take back as the people, not just Indigenous people, but as all people, as Canadians, take back that accountability to honour not only treaties, but honor the, the injustices and the constant traumas that have been inflicted on Indigenous people uh, and actually demanding change. Actually, you know, and if it's not going to happen in a court, then you get on the you get on the picket line, you get out there, you know, you support them, you show up, you bring food, you you, you make a donation, you do you share it on your social media, whatever you can. You know, you are taking active steps to, you know, to be part of that voice, part of that voice that is saying, no, we, we demand more. I don't know. I don't know. It it almost feels impossible sometimes, you know, like it's like, did it matter? Did it matter that we said no on that bridge for that river? The drill is still going up. The money's still being made. The deals are still being signed, you know, like did it matter? Did we actually change anything? But then you see, yeah, you see those it acts, those acts of resistance, those acts of strength and solidarity, and they grow like a fire. And so, you know, I just ask that it's not it it becomes a fire inside of you. You know, you feel the fire too. It's not just fanning the fire. It's not just pushing the fire. But you're part of it. You feel it burning, and you, you know, you just have to take action. You know, and I think that's something that kind of gets lost on people, though. It's like, because the left, you know what? Nobody beats up the left like the left does. Oh, I do a you good know, job like, of it myself. <laughs> and so, like, and that's what I'm saying. Right? And so, but, it, but what it ends up doing is it, it, it creates this, this scar tissue there. That, you know, oh, so-and-so said this about me. So, you know what? I'm not going to share the thing that they're doing because, you know, even though it's a good and I agree, you know, water rights, you know, whatever. I'm gonna, but I don't like him, so I'm not going to do it. Oh, well, and, and you know what, and it, and it perpetuates over and over and over again. And so we all end up on, the, on, on one side of things saying, you know, well, we all need to do this thing, but we can't stop being mad at each other for five minutes to be able to do anything. <laughs> and so what ends up happening is nothing happens because we just sit in a, in a bubble and argue. And so rather than, you know, what am I, what, like, how do we 
as this generation, you know, tell our grandkids one day, our great-grandkids one day, hey, you know, like, uh, I stood up for the land. Or what else are you going to say? You're going to say, you know, I, I would have stood up the land, but I was mad at Joe. You know, he said a bad thing about me on the Internet, and so I couldn't go and stand with him to defend the water. I was mad. So, sorry, you got no water or clean air or, you know, whatever, because I was mad. Sorry. And so we end up doing nothing. I would like to think that, you know, Indigenous rights and land and water preservation could be that one thing that the left you know, doesn't need to agree with each other's tactics, does not need to, you know, have settlers lead, you know, like many of our, our organizations do, that we can just listen and be really good allies all in the way that that's needed. You know, I hope, I mean, Layla, I feel my fire burning even more during like the very short time that I've been talking to you. So I have absolutely no doubt you as an individual have made a huge difference, had continued that fire burning in people, have ignited new fires, you know. Sometimes it's just a matter of keeping yours lit um, so that folks can maybe, you know, feel that warmth from proximity. So please never doubt your impact. It will be worth it. Um, You know, we can't just hope. I am so glad that there's people like you that you use the word hope, but you folks act. You know, um, you're not just sitting back hoping people come along. You are out there demanding that we come along. Um, I appreciate that. I wanted to kind of, you know, get a little personal and you don't have to answer this question, but you did put it out on, I think, Skylar, on your Twitter. You talked about the last two years being both very traumatic and you've talked about, you know, police violence and, and what it's like being criminalized for the work but also beautiful and inspiring. Um, Very conflicting emotions and experiences there. Has this all changed you in the last two years from the time you decided with your 20 comrades to take a stand and to where you are now waiting for a decision on another injunction? Of course it's changed you. How has it changed you? Um, my mom would say that uh, I got uh, stronger cheekbones now, or cheek muscles now. My face changed because I'm grinding my teeth at night. And so I grind oh, no. my teeth now. It's definitely not a good thing. So my, my cheek, I'm like, I don't know. Um, but, uh, oh, I don't know if it's changed me. Um, I mean, I've been around this my whole life. Like, I, I, my, I was 13 when I went to Ipperwash. Like, uh, I was, you know, tw- in wow. my early 20s, er, in my early 20s, going to jail for seven months for Gunnestado in 2000, after 2006 standoff. You know, I spent seven months in jail, and, and, you know, four months of that was in solitary confinement. Like, it, so, like, so, like, yeah, I'm no, uh, I'm no, uh, you know, it was, what? You're a 20, warrior, friend. 2012, when we took over the police station and occupied it here in Six Nations for, you know, four months. And, you know, like, you know, Standing Rock and Tainanega and uh, Wet'suwet'en and uh, Toronto encampment stuff, you know, took 
when I had six stitches in my eyebrow and a hole in my lip from Toronto Police yeah. Services. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like those, the list just keeps going. Like, it's it's ridiculous how much our people have had to make stands in order to protect something is something that, you know, for most of us, like we think of as, you know, a human right, you know, the ability to grow as a community, the ability to fucking drink water. You know, like, these are, like, and that's just, I, you know, like, these fights are going on everywhere. And so, like, you know, my story isn't one, uh, um, you know, any any difference. Like, lots of people have you know, done lots, lots of this. And, you know, I like, like, I wouldn't be able to even, you know, have an argument today if it wasn't for all the people that came before me that made these fights, right? Like, you know, like, there's guys like this guy and, you know, like, uh, uh, Dick Hill, that were like, you know, like Dick said, that was, you know, like a old-time warrior from, you know, like the 70s, like, and, you know, like somebody that, for me, like sat there and told Adoxy, Adoxy Nandicoke, like, like these guys were legends to me, like, you know, like those are the giants that, you know, where should we stand on their shoulders, you know, like the only reason we even got a fight today is because of those guys and the sacrifices they made. And so, you know, far be it for me to, you know, cry about a couple nights in jail and you know, these guys gave up you know their whole lives from fucking the beginning of it to the end of it you know engaged politically and you know fighting and supporting their brothers and sisters regardless of where it was and so I don't know I'm just I'm real grateful that I, that I get to you know try and walk in some of those footsteps as best I can anyways it's so strange for me to hear you say you're grateful because you know, I'm getting emotional here. Just, you know, it's probably a lot of white guilt, right? But to <laughs> to understand, no, let's be honest. Like to oh. understand the heavy lifting that that is, and that you know, Layla is has also experienced, you know, criminalization. And I don't know. I just, to be brutally honest, like I just wish I can bring my kids up to have that level of courage to. I don't know. Does that mean I've given up on myself and having that level of courage? Because it's clear it's come to the point where it's these kinds of measures that need to be taken in order to achieve what we need, right? Like this show is all about disrupting the status quo. And I've spent a lot of time in electoral politics to really no avail. Um, And a lot of other people are spinning their wheels in all these other spaces and we're not really making gains. And meanwhile, there's folks like the land offenders that we see and hearing Skylar's stories of unimaginable sacrifices, you know, some folks don't go out to a, a rally cause it's raining Skylar. Um, like where can we draw that anger, that courage, that urgency? It's very frustrating that I don't hear that in everyone because it would be a whole new world if we had uh, a Layla and Skylar, you know, in the ear of everyone or, without having to go through so much fucking trauma, though. The left really historically doesn't do well in inclement weather, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Even as Canadians, you'd think, you know, we would toughen up a little bit. But um, in all seriousness, though, like, I am just so, I am so grateful that, you know, there are people like you, Layla, and Skylar, that dedicate so much of your energy to um waking us up really that seems to be half your battle right like you can do what you can do and you can have thousands on the line there in Cayuga 
on si- at the six. And, you know, you can draw as many people as you want, Layla, over um, to BC, but uh, you really do need the rest of Canada to wake the fuck up. Pardon my language, but they need to be alongside you to get that political will that you're talking about so that it's not just you getting arrested time and time again. That, I mean, that, that's great that, that escalates it, but that, that shouldn't be it. You know, if you had 10 times the number standing with you, I mean, they couldn't, they wouldn't, right. They wouldn't raid you. They wouldn't, those, you wouldn't maybe be waiting for this injunction. Are you hopeful for this least? This, I, you're waiting for a court ruling. Is that right? Are you hopeful for its outcome or, you know, do you want to touch on that at all? Or are we going to jinx it? Or <laughs> Me? Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking to me. Sorry. Um... I don't know. Whoever. Yeah. Well, Skyler, you are you waiting for a, a court ruling yeah. in terms of the injunction at uh, 1492? Yeah, we are. Um, and so, yeah, like as of the recording of this anyways, the... Um, we all our arguments are in from both sides, and so we are uh, awaiting that decision. Um, you know, a lot of us, you know, in this don't certainly indigenous folks. You know, we don't really put a whole lot of faith in the court systems, and you know, like it, it just doesn't like those aren't where our wins come from. You know, our wins don't come from houses of legislation or. Uh, 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 courtrooms like our 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 winds come on the land they 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 come on the banks of our rivers they come on the roads the highways the railways like whatever bit of colonial infrastructure that crisscrosses turtle islands back like this is on our land this is on our lands lands that are are, are the birthright of our children and so you know what we're going to do whatever it takes like there's like i said there's no prisons big enough there's no laws strict enough that are going to break that connection like they tried to residential school that out of us. They are over incarcerating that out of us. You know what? Our, our our drive for our lands is something that, you know, you can't you can't beat that out of us. That that that's something that you know our uh, our kids and our our, our grandkids they're going to be born with that fire in them. And so like the, like these these wins that we get like you know stopping the development at Landback Lane like those those, those wins are are you know incremental in nature. You know, and so those those small winds over this this particular spot of land. You know what we're we're talking about six miles on each side of the Grand River. You know our our people have been fighting for land back since contact, and like it's like we're trying to have these opportunities to drive forward, where we can we can pull allies in to say you know what this is your government that is continuing this this you know centuries old song and dance. And they're painting it with this new pretty picture of, you know, Indigenous Canada or Native Canadians or whatever. I don't know what the what the what the new one is, but like, it, it is an absolutely ridiculous thought that we're going like, we're just these happy Indians that you know have assimilated into white culture. Like that's not that's not what our people like here in Six Nations. Our our language. Like I I grew up with my language and culture, and I was lucky enough that, you know, my family went to Longhouse and, you know, spoke the language and, you know, got me to go to a, a, an Indian school like that, that spoke indigenous languages at it. Like, and so I was lucky enough that I got that. Layla, if you're still there, um, Skylar talks about wins. You know, what does victory look like to you? 
For me, it, it looked like, you know, when we drove up that 2006 reclamation site, that land back site from 2006, and it had just been 15 years, you know, that had been left alone. And to see it coming back, to see the earth healing itself from this, you know, clear-cut development that was threatening there, I was like, this is, this is what it looks like when you win. You know, it's not giant apartment buildings and, you know, department stores and fast food restaurants. This is, this is it right here. And so, you know, seeing all of us appreciate that and see that as winning, that's the big win. You use that word a lot, you know, reclaiming, reclamation. It's it's part of the title of um, your documentary, Blood and Water, you know, a reclamation story. I love that you describe that as a win. I'm I'm just trying to sit with that because it it made me think of actually the one the most effective land acknowledgement I have sat through was where someone asked us to close our eyes and picture the land as it was thousands of years ago, you know, the very land you were actually on and how it was lived upon and what had happened to it slowly over time. But to first really absorb yourself, like hear the water, smell that clean air, imagine the animals that would have lived where you lived, right? This is an activity mostly for people that aren't, don't see the land in the way that you you saw it there and and I found that very powerful because it did start to eat away at that that need to build a relationship with the land, not so much the treaties, right, but the actual land, um, because it all goes so much farther than those treaties or should, right? But I just absolutely love the way you described that. One of the stories from out west was, you know, the very first day that uh, uh, Layla's brother Logan and I had went there first and uh, I spent a couple of weeks and the very first day we got there uh, a friend of ours drove us up to this river and uh, and she says well this is it this is what we're fighting for and so we got out to have a look at this river and and like and crystal clear and I remember walking up to it and saying like so can I drink this water and and she kind of had this like weird look on her face like I asked a really stupid question and she's like like, of course you can drink it. Why wouldn't you be able to drink it? And I'm like, I started to laugh. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I remember at you home. You sounded like such a city you, kid, right? <laughs> you, can't, you can't drink the water I got at home. Like, I remember, like, nasty. I, and then just as I turned back around, this salmon come out of the water the size of my leg. And I'm like, all right, like, no, we don't have that. Like, if you go fishing in our river, you're more likely to catch a shopping cart from No Frills or a, you know, 1978 BMX bike than, than a salmon. Like, so it's, it's like, and she was like, no, go ahead, take a drink. And like, I put my hands together underneath this water and took a drink from my hands. And like, and it's just this weird, like, it, it immediately connects you. Like, it, it, it is like this liberating, like, I don't know, like, freeing moment of, like, just being able to, like, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is what, you know, Mother Nature intended for us to be able to drink from every single stream, to be able to drink from every river, every lake. Like, I couldn't imagine 
couldn't even imagine asking my kids saying, yeah, go ahead, take a drink from here. Because like it, it, the, the pollution from Kitchener and Cambridge and Brantford and like all of the cities and towns that, that just bleed their oil and gas and fumes and pollution into our waters that, you know what, most people, we don't, we don't eat the fish from our river. There's lots of people that fish it, but mostly just sport fishing. And like, even then you're not catching a whole lot. And so it's not, it, it's just, it's a, it's a sad, it's in a sad state right now. You put that, you put that water like to your lips and it's like electric. It was like tingled. Like you could feel that, you could feel that it was alive. You could feel the life inside Absolutely. of it. And like Skylar said, it was like, this is what, this is what water is supposed to be like. This is, this is it. This is how it was intended from, you know, thousands of years ago. This water hasn't been touched. And, you know, here we are wanting to put oil through it. Like, it just makes no sense. It's like something, something changed in me when I, when I drank from that river and I realized that, you know, I want my kids to be able to drink from a river. I want them to be able to taste that. I want them to be able to taste water without chlorine and chemicals in it. I want them to be able to know what that's like, what nature intended for us. I want to challenge every one of your listeners that to go and drink from that river, to go and put your hands underneath that water and take a drink from it. And if you can do that and not say that that needs to stay that way, like there's something, there's something that doesn't connect for you. And so, it you is know, a lack I of challenge you, go out, take a drink from that water and tell me you're not willing to, not willing to stand up for that, not willing to face an arrest for that. Because you know what, these people that are giving every bit of their life to that river up there right now, and you know what, people, people are needed more than ever. And so like follow, get them to an access and, you know, begin to access, like get, get folks there, get listening, get in on what's going on. And like for people that, you know, aren't, you know, able to, 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 to drop everything and go up there and into the bush because it's in the bush. It is, it is a long way from anything that looks like concrete and asphalt. And you know what, it, and if you can't, you know what, break open that pocketbook because you know what, it, it, like I said, it's way up north. It is expensive as I'll get out to get stuff up there. Um, uh, and you know, and if those two things aren't, aren't aren't in the cards for you, then you know what? There's lots of actions that are going on and are going to continue to go on across Canada. And so, get involved in one of those, all of those, whatever you can do to put yourself, whether that's getting on some colonial infrastructure and shutting stuff down, to standing in front of your local parliament uh, member of parliament's house with a billboard, let him know that people in their constituency, uh, you know, care about the, whether or not the, this community is uh, going to be deprived of their, of, of their ability to drink and fish and, you know, all of their livelihood. Um, actually, let me ask Leila, to, um, the guy from Namagusasagi, like, uh, what, what it takes to, like, what that means to ha- be connected somewhere. Well, I mean, like, when... It's interesting because people say, you know, why don't you move? Why don't you leave? Why don't you go to Thunder Bay? Why don't you go to the city where you have access to water? And a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people do because that's, you know, they're, they're stuck in this situation where there's no clean water, where they're in poverty, where they're surrounded by trauma. 
Uh, but this this man, he you know, he was like, my children have left, but I can't leave. You know, like he's like, go out on that water in the morning and watch the sunrise. And he's like, you'll know why I stay. You'll know why this land is. I'm a part of it. You know, it's it's inside of him. And I've seen communities completely, you know, go down to 14 people on some of these reserves because. And it's all the elders that just won't leave because they're so connected to that land. And, uh, you know, like I, I feel, I feel that connection and it's what we fight for. It's, you know, it's, it's what we stand for. It's what we keep using our voices for, even in the face of this colonial violence and this trauma where they, you know, I came back from Wasudan and I was at a, a rally and I saw police cherries and I just instantly felt paralyzed and and silenced I, I couldn't speak I couldn't move and I in that moment I was like this is this is what they wanted this is why they used all that violence this is why they this is their intention is to make me silent to make me not say anything anymore to be so afraid of being arrested or in trouble or go before the courts uh, but you know I, I will not I will not let that not let them have that and so that uh you know it's uh, it, it's something that we feel deeply but i think that there is there is that there is that movement there is that that shift that's happening where it's it's not just indigenous people because there is this fear of you know like climate change think about how crazy we went when we ran out of toilet paper during the pandemic you know, imagine that that's water and you're being rationed 1.5 liters of water per person in your household a day. That is a reality for Niskandiga. When I went to that community, they, they, you know, bottled water was how they survived. And if you ran out, you know, you had to ration, you had to be careful with what the water that you use. This is not a reality for regular society. But when it is, you know, the understanding that this is this is a reality we're all looking at as part of this cycle of Earth and the damage we're causing. Six Nations is in southern Ontario. Like we are in the middle of southern Ontario and more than half of our community can't can't go to their tap and have a drink. Like this isn't way up north. This isn't like it, it is something that is, it should be in the face of everybody. But like water insecurity issues, like this isn't just some far off fly in community. Like even here in Six Nations, we have those same issues. Like we have a Canadian gypsum company that has a mine just outside of the reserve that flooded its mines one, one year and poisoned, sulfur, sulfur poisoned all of the, the springs in the surrounding area for miles and miles and miles. And so like, like this is, a very real reality that is affecting people right now. This isn't something that happened 100 years ago. This isn't residential schools from 100 years. Residential schools even went that long ago. It was 20 years ago. And so how are we... Like, I, I don't understand this idea that, like, oh, well, this is a historical issue, not one of the present. You know, like, yeah, you know, talking about how many friends I've lost to, to, to suicide, to addiction, to, to, to incarceration... Like these are these are the these are the realities that our communities are dealing with day in and day out. It's hard to know what to say, you know, when faced with all of those. You know, there's so many crises at once. You know, when it comes to securing 
a good life for Indigenous people here in Canada. It's angering as a, as someone who is, you know, educated on the issues, who listens and still, you know, I, I appreciate that you see that a movement is being built, Layla, that, that extends beyond the Indigenous community that does, you know, bring hope and, and promise. I hope we can continue to, you know, go that way and allow ourselves to learn from the Indigenous way of life and to reconnect to the lands. You know, I don't think I understood how important that was until this conversation with the two of you. Um, I live up in, you know, cottage country, Ontario, and even uh, the Chippewas of Georgina here on the islands have not had clean drinking water. There's some improvements that have been made in the last two years, but we are a wealthy community in York region and it looks pristine. We've got provincial parks, but yet there's a community here that, you know, it, it is the reality 100% Skylar, but we remove ourselves as settlers from it completely, uh, especially in urban centers. What was the one up in your neck of the, the Walkerton? Uh, the Chippewas of Georgina. No, was the Walkerton, was the water crisis? No, it's just that, a whole bunch of municipalities no, now. You remember when the Walkerton water crisis happened? Oh, I do. Like it was, yes, I do. I was, absolutely. I'm old enough. And so, like, people went to jail over that. Like, there was a big inquiry. Like, there was, like, this massive inquiry that happened. This same thing. Like, they were, they were on, a like, a water advisory for a week. People went to jail. People, like, and, and that for was just from, you know... A couple dozen people getting sick. We're talking about thousands of people with like major, major health issues resulting from them drinking the water, swimming in the water, eating the fish out of the water that they like. Nobody's going to jail over this. Nobody's getting fined or charged or made to clean up the mess that they left. Um, these like. It is an absolutely like ridiculous thought that this is 2022 and we are having these conversations still. Are you hopeful, Skylar? <laughs> After that rant, are you questionable on my hope? <laughs> well, it is an uphill you battle, friend, and you've faced a lot of trauma. I do wonder what keeps you going. Like, you must be somewhat hopeful or else you would stop fighting i imagine but that's that, that you are absolutely and it's, right. it's no judgment my friend i i can't imagine being in your shoes it, i i don't take any any offense to it um but no you know what like when we when we talk about land back you know like that idea of an invitation the idea that we are inviting all of those brothers and sisters home that have been stolen from our from our nations. When we're talking about inviting those brothers and sisters home, we want to be able to give them an opportunity to come home to something that they can be proud of, that they can ha drink from their tap, like simple things, like for 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 you know ninety nine point nine percent of the, the 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 country, like these are simple things. The right to have an education that isn't going to 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 try and change who you are to assimilate who you are as an as an Ongohoe man or woman or 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 to to be able to to 
you know, not be afraid to be arrested to, 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 see, to see, you know, see those brothers and sisters get released from custody that are still in custody. You know, to have, you know, our communities start to rebuild. Because all of these social issues that come from colonization, like whether you're talking about alcoholism and drug addiction stuff, mental health issues, the, uh, our, our, um, our numbers in the child protection. Uh, and so all of, those, all of those issues are all coming from this idea that we are disconnected from family. And so when we, we, we can't have, my, my brother's looking to build a house, he can't build here on the reserve, so he has to go off the reserve. Now he's, you know, 20 miles from his family, 20 miles from everything that he knows that will keep him accountable to his family. And so then, you know, being an alcoholic is not such a big deal. Being a drug addict isn't a big deal. Being a criminal isn't such a big deal. All of those things, those, those social things, the, the fabric of family, is something that starts to get stripped away from people. And so then that's when you see all of those social issues start to come up. And so when we want to, when we say, you know, we want land back, we want to be able to invite those brothers and sisters home. We want to say like, you come home. Like this is where your family is. This is like, let's, let's help you to build something so that you can have something of your own. Because you know what, that is your birthright. As a Six Nations man or woman, that is your birthright to be able to live here on the Grand River. Like this river is as much theirs as it is mine, as it is anybody else that has been stolen from our community. And so we want to be able to say, come home, like let's give some space so that that can happen. It seems astonishing that such simple requests are met with such resistance. Um, you know, like I think... I, I try to think of what your ancestors, what indigenous people who were here before contact would think at the battles that their generations after would have to fight for something as simple as clean drinking water. Um, that I think that that gets me emotional because I don't think you picture your children or grandchildren having to have those kinds of battles when you're looking at the land as it was, but it's, we're not in that space anymore. And yeah. Um, Skylar and Layla, I will make sure when we end for the listeners as well uh, to check the show notes, because we'll include as many resources as we can in there um, into the work that Skylar and Layla are doing, but also into some of the issues that were brought up during the episode, just to kind of reinforce um, so folks can keep learning beyond this episode. But um, I normally record for an hour, but I feel like I could be here all night. I have so much to learn. Um, but I, you know, let's let's call it a wrap. But before we do, is there anything else, Layla um, and Skylar, that you want to share with folks that I have not asked you or you've not had an opportunity? I know we didn't really get to talk about your documentary much, uh, Layla. So, uh, no, I think, you know, I think we've said a lot for everyone to kind of digest and process and just think about your own your own personal opinions, you know, how do you feel? What do you think? And stand strong in those beliefs. And for me, I'm just grateful that, uh, you know, you and your listeners are, are, are interested in, you know, what me and Layla have to say. And you know what, like, whatever we can do to, 
to help. Uh, oh, and I hear a kitty cat in the background there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I hear a kitty. And, uh, but yeah, I'm just real grateful. I'm really, really grateful that, you know, you and your listeners, uh, you know, gave us some time to be able to ex explain just what it is, some of the, some of the issues that, that are going on and, you know, Indigenous Canada right now. If the very least some of us can give you, Skylar, is an hour and a half of our time, um, that would be great. We're going to ask more from our audience. Um, so, you know, we'll be sure to include some action items in those show notes as well. Um, and we'll share it as much as possible, friend. Um, I'm incredibly grateful for you sharing your knowledge with me and in turn with anybody listening. And I'm more incredibly grateful for the heavy lifting that you and your comrades do to protect our land and our water. I can't explain why more people are not invested in this fight. And I wish that wasn't the case, but hopefully we can eat away at that uh, loss of connection to the land that I think is kind of rooted in the lack of urgency um, around some of these issues. But so incredibly grateful for your time. And I feel a lot more empowered um, to take this message further. So much appreciated. Miigwech. Thanks. Great on. Yeah, good night, guys. As I promised, Layla and Skylar, there will be a bunch of resources linked to this episode. You can check the show notes. Please take time to keep this discussion going, to keep decolonizing our spaces and our minds. My takeaways from this were quite personal and emotional. I'm not sure I can adequately recap them here. I'll try. Uh, courage comes to mind and necessity. When Skylar mentioned the 10,000 band members that couldn't fit on the land provided and, and Layla spoke of the earth as a family member needing defending, I think a fire started burning inside of me. I hope it was the same for you. I mean, we have to ask ourselves, what will it take to get more people to defend the irreplaceable? What will it take for settlers to fully understand the weight of our responsibilities in this fight? And when will we demand real reconciliation? And what does that look like? Um, we couldn't explore all of that in this episode, um, but that doesn't mean we're not going to. I want to remind folks of Layla's vision of victory, reclaimed land where the water is drinkable. And both of them are willing to do whatever it takes to do that. So please support them however you can. Thank you again to Skylar and to Layla for sharing their experiences and for their tireless work. Miigwech. Like in all things that we do, there is a team behind Blueprints of Disruption. I want to give a big thank you to our producers, Santiago, Hello Quintero, and Jay Woodruff. Our show is also made possible by the support of our listeners. So if you appreciate our content and would like to become a patron, please visit us at www.patreon backslash BP of disruption. So if you know of any work that should be amplified or want to provide feedback of our show, please reach out to us on Twitter at BP of disruption. Blueprints of disruption is a project of new left media, an independent employee owned company.